Good morning. Glad you've chosen to worship here with us at Prairie View Christian Church. As Joshua mentioned earlier in the service, fill out that connection card if it's your first time here. We'd love to have that from you, not so that we can bug you, not so that we can harass you, but so that we can welcome you to Prairie View, pray for you, serve you in any way possible. And if you didn't drop that in the offering bag as it came by just a couple minutes ago, feel free to take it out to the welcome desk. And while you're at that welcome desk, there are a few books sitting out there, and feel free to grab one of those. Uh, That's just a small gift from us to you to thank you for worshiping with us in hopes that maybe that book will help you as you continue in your walk with Christ, even if that doesn't happen here. So feel free to take one of those if you're a guest, and we're glad that you've chosen to worship with us. Now, last week Joshua preached for me from James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. We're in week 4 of our series through the book of James, and he did a really great job addressing the passage regarding partiality in the church. And he addressed how in many churches... The temptation is to show favoritism based on race, based on economic standing, based because some people struggle with different sins than we do. And the church is called to be a place that refuses to do that, that refuses to hold one person over another because of issues like race or money or what kind of temptations they deal with. And I'm thankful to Joshua for doing that. And last week, since I wasn't here, Joshua was preaching, it was the first time in over three years that I have been at a church on a Sunday morning that I wasn't working at or interviewing at. And so it was a very interesting Sunday morning for me. I was able to go to church and really see it from the eyes of a visitor. I went to a 2,000-person church that we had never been to, Olivia and I, and it was really an interesting experience. Now today we're going to be in James chapter 3. And you may notice that we're going to be all over Scripture today. We're going to spend time in Psalms and Proverbs and Matthew and 2 Timothy and James. And you may think this is a whole lot of Scripture. What's the deal? Well, to be honest, part of it comes from my experience last week. When I was at that 2,000-person church last week, not trying to be critical, but during the course of the Sunday morning service, at no point was the Bible opened. At no point was scripture up on the screen, and at no point was anyone on the stage holding a Bible. And I left that church, not trying to be critical, not trying to attack them, but I left that church more encouraged and more assured that every single Sunday morning here at Prairie View, we need to be in scripture, period, in some way, shape, form, or fashion. The Bible is the basis for all we teach and all we practice, and we should not be ashamed of that. And so today, we're going to spend a lot of time in Scripture, and every week, we're going to spend a lot of time in Scripture. So, before we get started, let's pray together as we jump into James chapter 3. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've blessed us with. Thank you for the fact that we're able to come here freely and worship you, that we can come here in safety and worship you. And God, I pray that all of the distractions of life that are probably running through our minds right now, we will just get rid of those, at least for the next 45 minutes or so while we're here, and just truly focus on you. And I pray that as we leave here, we won't just let your word change us or speak to us on Sunday morning, but rather your word will change us every day throughout the coming week. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of James. We thank you that everything you have to say to us today. We love you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
So we're going to be in James chapter 3. Feel free to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3. We'll also have verses up on the screen if you'd like to follow along that way. If you don't have a Bible, there are a few scattered throughout the room on the bottoms of the chairs. Feel free to grab one of those. And if you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take one of those. Uh, We may have to replenish our chair Bibles every few weeks or every few months, but we'll take that risk if that's what it takes for you to go home with a copy of Scripture. So, James chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, before we go any farther in this passage, that's a pretty bold statement for James to make. To say that not many people should become teachers because they will be held to a higher standard, judged with a greater strictness. Now, what exactly is James referring to when he says teachers? Well, in context, he's probably referring to official teaching leadership positions in the church. Positions like elder. In today's context, positions like minister or maybe even youth minister or worship minister. All of these official teaching positions should be held to a higher standard. And we're going to get into this whole idea of taming the tongue here in a second. So in context, it would make sense that James is talking to teachers because their primary tool is their tongue. They use words to teach sound doctrine. They are constantly telling people the truths of Christ. So their tongues should always be held to a higher standard. The things they say, the words they choose, making sure they teach sound doctrine. But even then, let's take it a little bit farther. Is it really just about what teachers say? Is that the only area in which we should have high standards? The answer is no. It's more than just our tongues that matter if we are leaders in this church. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Now, Paul is talking to a young church leader, and he is telling Timothy, this young man, that he should be held to a higher standard with his words. But he goes even farther than just his words. When I was a young minister, feel free to laugh at that. When I was 19 years old, I got my first job at a church as like a youth ministry intern, basically, in a small church in northern Kentucky. And every Sunday, we had this tradition where I would go out to lunch with three or four or five of the kids from the youth group. And there was a Taco Bell right down the road. And so one Sunday, we ended up going to Taco Bell for lunch. And we get in this conversation of what the Bible says about this and what the Bible says about that and all these controversial topics. And I'm sitting there and I'm pretty full of myself at this point. And so I'm answering all these kids' questions and I'm saying things like, you know, if someone tells you that that's in the Bible, then they're an idiot. Or if someone tells you that that's in the Bible, then they're just stupid. They clearly have no idea what they're reading. And I was just going on and on and on, being loud and arrogant and obnoxious. And there was a couple sitting at the booth next to us. And as they got ready to leave and throw their stuff away and get in their car and go, the lady stopped. And she stopped at my booth. And she said, excuse me, are you their youth minister or their Sunday school teacher or something? And I said, well, actually, yes, I am. I know I'm young, but they already put me in a leadership position. 
And she said, well, here's the thing. If I were not a Christian and I heard the way that you were teaching these kids, I would not want to be a Christian. When she said that, my jaw just about hit the floor. And I was so embarrassed. I was so offended. I got defensive almost. But then it didn't take very long for me to realize that, you know what? She was absolutely right. I came across as a real jerk with what I was saying and the words that I was choosing and how I was teaching those kids. And it was embarrassing, but it was also humbling. And I needed it really badly. And as embarrassing as it was, I look back now and I'm glad that lady said that. Because who knows where I would have gone had I not had that experience. And occasionally, I could probably still use an experience like that. But our words matter. But Paul doesn't just look at words. Look in that passage in 2 Timothy. He says that the teacher should be gentle. He should flee youthful passions. He should, should pursue righteousness, love, peace. He should avoid foolish quarrels, shouldn't start fights. Leaders are more than just about what they say and how they use their tongues. We should hold our leaders to a higher standard in how they live their lives. Every single aspect of it. Paul certainly does say that this person should be able to teach, that he should be able to correct opponents. That all has to do with our tongues, but he doesn't just stay there. We should correct our opponents with gentleness, with compassion, with humility. Being a teacher in this church, being in a leadership position in this church, we are called to hold ourselves to higher standards. And we expect you to hold us to higher standards. And we should not shy away from that. And we shouldn't be embarrassed or ashamed of that. Because it clearly is an emphasis for Paul and for James. Pick up in verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Now, leaders are going to mess up. Just because we're called to be held to a higher standard as leaders in the church doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. We're sinners just like everybody else. We say stupid things. Look at my Taco Bell example. We do that all the time. But if you're a leader, if you have been elected into a leadership position by the people of this church... We are called to hold ourselves to a higher standard. We absolutely trust in grace when we slip up because we will. But we do not shy away from James's teaching to hold ourselves to higher standards, to represent the church and represent Christ well in what we say and in what we do. But in verse 2, James's main point is not so much that somehow if you can bridle your tongue, if you can control your words, that you'll become this perfect person. No writer in the New Testament believes that you can ever become perfect in this life, that you can ever become sinless in this life. But James's emphasis is that the tongue is powerful. It's hard to control. Gossip, rumors, slander, insult, it's tough to watch over that. It's tough to have control over it. So much so that James says that if you can do that, you can do anything. But we'll quickly see that we cannot tame our tongues on our own. Look at what he says in verse 3. He gives a couple of illustrations of just how powerful the tongue is. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. 
Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. The tongue is powerful. Words are powerful. And before we immediately assume that James is only referring to the negative things that the tongue can do, let's look at some positive things that our words can do, some positive purposes that we can do with our tongues. We can build one another up. We can encourage one another. In our time here at Prairie View, some of the most important things have been the emails from people in this congregation encouraging us. Cards wishing us a happy anniversary. Cards to Olivia showing support and care for her as a young mom and as a young wife. Those words mean the world to us. They are a huge source of encouragement. Words can be powerful. Look at Proverbs chapter 15, verse 23. Sorry about that. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. Flip over to Proverbs 16, 24. Again, we read, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Our words can be used for incredibly positive, God-honoring things. Building one another up, encouraging one another, being there for one another when things are bad, when things look down. Let's use our tongues in a positive way because they're powerful. But look at the second part of verse 5. The tongue is dangerous as well. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? Sounds like James is maybe going a little bit over the top. Because sure, our words can hurt people, but really, to call it a world of unrighteousness? To say it's set on fire by hell? That it's a little spark that can burn an entire forest down? That's a little bit over the top. That seems a little bit unreasonable. Well, look at Psalm 140, verse 3. James is not the first person to say something like this. Verses 1 through 3, Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their heart and stir up wars continually. They make their tongue sharp as a serpent's, and under their lips is the venom of asps. That is a pretty bold statement for James to make. And it doesn't really fall in line with our understanding that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? Well, I've come to disagree with that statement. How many of you have heard the name Dino Lorenzi? Dino Lorenzi. I had one person who said they've heard the name Dino Lorenzi. And it's Denise. She probably has no idea what I'm talking about. Dino Lorenzi. Now, how many of you have heard the name Ryan Braun? Ryan Braun. Okay, we're going to get to Dino in a second, but Ryan Braun is an incredibly good baseball player for the Milwaukee Brewers. And last year, Ryan Braun had to take a steroid test, the same way every single Major League Baseball player does. 
So Ryan Braun takes the steroid test, and a sample collector takes the sample, and he tries to ship it where he's supposed to ship it, but he couldn't get it there in time. So he has to keep it at his house for a little bit longer than he's supposed to, according to protocol. But he sends the sample the next day or the next business day as soon as he can. Well, the test comes back positive, that Ryan Braun had an incredibly unnatural level of testosterone that clearly showed his use of steroids or performance-enhancing drugs. So Ryan Braun's defense team gets together, and they think, okay, well, how can we somehow get Ryan Braun out of this? Because this is going to make him look really bad as an athlete if people think that he's on steroids. So they get together, and they find out about Dino Lorenzi. Dino Lorenzi, the sample collector. And they find out that Dino Lorenzi technically broke a little rule when he didn't ship the sample right away. They found a loophole. So Ryan Braun's defense team started trying to slander Dino Lorenzi. They started trying to call his reputation into question, to somehow hurt his credibility. They accused Dino Lorenzi of trying to frame Ryan Braun, of maybe even tampering with the sample itself, as though Dino Lorenzi had some sort of agenda against Ryan Braun to try and take this athlete down. Well, there was an appeal, there was a hearing, and Ryan Braun came out innocent because of the loophole. Ryan Braun got what he wanted. He was able to keep playing. His reputation wasn't hurt too badly, but Dino Lorenzi's was. Dino Lorenzi lived in Wisconsin. Ryan Braun plays for the Milwaukee Brewers. Dino Lorenzi became one of the most hated men in the state of Wisconsin. Dino Lorenzi got death threats from people because he tried to take down their favorite player. Dino Lorenzi's reputation was ruined. His career was dragged through the mud. His name was slandered on incredible levels. Well, fast forward to this year. Ryan Braun has tested positive for steroids. There is other evidence that makes it clear that he really did take steroids. He was guilty all this time. And he's apologized to the team, he's apologized to his fellow players, he's apologized to the fans, but he hasn't said a word about Dino Lorenzi. Dino Lorenzi would tell you that that old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Dino Lorenzi wouldn't agree with that. I think Dino Lorenzi would probably rather have taken his chances getting hit with a stick or a stone compared to what he had to deal with with this. Because our words are powerful. Words can be hurtful. And our tongues are dangerous. But don't just ask Dino Lorenzi. Ask other churches all across the country and all across the world that have split over brothers and sisters in Christ who slander one another. Brothers and sisters in Christ who insult one another. Who start rumors about one another. Who gossip about one another. Our tongues can have an incredibly negative impact, not just on careers, not just on reputations, but on this church. That's a pretty big deal. It's very dangerous because churches have ceased to exist and churches have failed to live up to the expectations that God has for them to accomplish the mission God has given them because some members can't tame the tongue. They can't stop insulting one another. They can't stop gossiping. They can't stop slandering. They can't stop starting rumors. 
And if we allow our tongues to run rampant in this church, then we'll fall apart too. We'll be like that forest fire that James talked about. That one little spark will burn everything in sight to the ground. We must refuse to let our tongues run rampant. Look at verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Every sermon that I preach, I always look for some way in every single text, where is the gospel in this? Where is the gospel in this sermon or in this passage? And this is where I think the gospel is in this passage. You know, the problem with insults, the problem with slander, the problem with gossip is not just that we're saying mean things. It's not just that we're being rude. The problem when we slander our brothers and sisters in Christ, or any person for that matter, we are slandering someone created in God's image. And when we attack creation, we indirectly end up attacking the creator. Because when we slander the people who sit next to us in church, when we slander the people who shop at the grocery store with us or work with us or go to school with us, we are basically telling God, you know, God, I wish you would have created that person differently because then I could respect them because then I wouldn't feel the urge to say bad things about them. I wish you would have created them a little bit better. I wish you would have done a better job creating them in a way that would meet my approval. We are attacking people created in God's image, and we end up attacking God himself when we attack those people. We attack people that Christ died for, that God thought was important enough to send his son and break his body and spill his blood for their sins, and yet we don't think they're worthy of kind words. We think they deserve our ridicule. We think they deserve our slander and our mudslinging. That is not the case at all. Christ died for you and Christ died for me. He took our sins upon himself on the cross. And how dare we look at other people, as Joshua mentioned last week, as though they are somehow less valuable or less worthy. And our words can say a whole lot about whether or not we think those people are valuable or worthy. Look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37. Jesus is going to say something pretty bold here, pretty black and white here, and James is going to go with it as well. Verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil tre treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. James cites the same idea. Look at verse 10. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Once again, 
as we've seen in the book of James so far, James tends to make things a little bit black and white at times. Almost to the point where it makes us a little bit uncomfortable how James seems to oversimplify things. And he's doing it right here. He says that the same way you don't have a spring that one day produces fresh water and one day produces salt water, you don't have a vine that one day produces grapes and one day produces figs, if you have that spring or you have that vine, then clearly something's wrong with the source. If it's producing two different things, one thing one day and the other thing the next day. Jesus says that our hearts are like that spring. Our hearts are like that vine. And if one day we produce words that are hateful and angry and slanderous of people created in the image of God, and then one day we produce encouraging, building up, lifting words, then that's a problem. There's something wrong with the source. There's something wrong with the heart. Our hearts tell a lot by where we are with Christ. Our hearts are everything when it comes to where we are with Christ. And our words are a pretty solid indicator of where our hearts are. That doesn't mean that we'll say everything perfectly all the time. It doesn't mean that we'll never slip up. But it does mean that there's something to be said for our words. In 1 John, John says that one cannot say they love God if they hate their brother. Another pretty bold statement. Jesus makes it clear. Our words say a lot about our hearts. And that's a pretty dangerous place to be. Because James says you can't tame the tongue. Well, what do you do then? Look at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Not a very good prognosis, is it? Well, the wisdom of the world doesn't produce the things of God. As James says, it's demonic, it's earthly, it's unspiritual. If we try by our own wisdom to tame our tongues, we will fail. And if we really rely on our own wisdom, we really probably won't have any desire to tame our tongues. But what do we have? The good news is that we have the wisdom of God. Look at verse 17. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The good news when it comes to taming our tongues is that God doesn't leave us alone to do it on our own. James chapter 1, we talked about that several weeks ago. It says that if you ask God for wisdom, he will grant it to you. If you want to be more like Christ, if you want to even start attempting to tame your tongues. You can't do it on your own. You need to be transformed from the inside out. As Jesus said, out of the abundance of our hearts, the mouth overflows. We need our hearts to be changed. We need our hearts to be transformed and shaped by God himself. 
if we ever expect our tongues to reflect Christ in any way whatsoever. And the beauty of it is that God gives us this wisdom. God gives us his spirit. God gives us his word that can change us and mold us and transform us to look more like him. And that includes the words we speak. And then look at verse 18. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Churches that don't have peace are churches whose leaders are not held to high standards in what they say and in what they do. Churches that don't have peace are churches that have members slandering one another constantly, insulting one another constantly, gossiping about one another constantly. And James calls us, and he calls his audience to refuse to be that church. We need to be a united church. We need to be a church that seeks God's wisdom, that seeks God's transformation, that seeks God's heart surgery that all of us need when we come to know Christ. When we do this, we can become a true community of peace. A community of peace that accomplishes incredible things, not just in these walls, but in the world around us. And there's something to be said for peace. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's be a church full of peacemakers. Let's be a church that makes peace not just here within our own little group, but in the community around us. And that starts by taming our tongues. We can't do it on our own. If we try, we'll fall on our faces, we'll fail. But God will help us. We won't be perfect. We won't always get it right, but we can trust in grace. And we can be confident that God will not leave us the same people we were when he found us. That he can make us more like his son. Let's be a community of peacemakers. And that starts with our words. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've blessed us with. God, I pray that you will be with us, always working on us, always challenging us, always convicting us. God, I pray that our words will reflect hearts that have been changed by you, hearts that have been transformed by your grace, by your word, by your spirit, by your wisdom. I pray that when we speak about one another, we can speak in a way that spews forth life, not death that builds one another up, that encourages one another, that holds each other accountable when needed. God, I pray that our words will truly become an incredible source of peace in this church. And I pray our church can become an incredible source of peace in this community. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you that we can look at every single person around us and say, that person is created in your image. How beautiful it is to think that. And God, I pray that when we look at those who Christ died for, we'll realize that they have inherent, incredible, inestimable work, worth, and value. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for his broken body and his spilt blood. Thank you that he took our sins upon himself and paid the penalty we could never repay. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. 
We ask these things in his name. Amen. If you have questions about Prairie View Christian Church, if you have prayer requests, if you want more information about what it means to become a follower of Christ, several of our elders will be standing at the side of the room. They'd be happy to talk to you, pray with you. I'd be happy to do that. Jeff could do that as well. We hope you'll take advantage of that. Calling, you're calling. 